One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Autobot Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Vibber and again I'm joined by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Um, we're going to continue our positional preview series here. Um, we've covered catcher and first base, so today we're going to cover third base. Um, I will warn you in advance, this is a very Chad-centric episode. He was very excited about sharing his thoughts about the third base position. Why is that a warning? <laughs> I don't, I, like, because I don't know. I guess maybe I've been just assuming that they don't want to hear that much from you, but <laughs> that's probably... I'd like to let you know in advance, you're very lucky this is a Chad-centric episode, but no, maybe no, it's a warning. Chad? Maybe it's more just that I'm apologizing because I don't know how much I really have to contribute during this episode, so we'll see. Yeah, our so, prep for this was very Chad-forward, so I'm excited to... I'm excited to see how it goes. I love third base. So, I mean, do we want to we want to touch on the studs? I mean, I, I I think that obviously Arenado to me is the, the clear sort of top guy. I do you guys have any quibbles with that? Do you want to argue Jose Ramirez at, at number I'll, one there? I'll argue for Ramirez. I, I actually I think uh, one of my concerns with Arenado is um, his numbers on the road are a lot worse. Like yeah. meaningfully worse, right? You're actually, in some cases, better off platooning him if you can, because you can well, oftentimes get. Well, him. let's not get carried away. I, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get carried away. Okay. <laughs> I okay. think there's a lot of cases where you can be, you can have a guy like a Brian Anderson or a JD Davis who you're mostly using in the outfield and be in a situation where you could put someone else in that fifth outfield spot and put Davis or Anderson into a third base slot when Arenado's on the road. I mean, he still had a 355 weighted on base last year outside of Colorado. I mean, yes, that's not elite, but that's still... I think a lot of guys have home road splits like that. I mean, he hits so well at at Coors that it it sort of offsets... That's what it is, and there's obviously like an inflation part of that just by virtue of being Coors... But he did, I mean, right, Justin, I mean, he hit so well in cores. That's totally fair. I mean, and I think I'm being a, a little, like, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I think uh, <laughs> if I have Arenado, I'm plugging him in every day. Um, there, are, there are cases where on the road in a tough matchup, I would bench him. Um, and that's not true for most of the other sort of elite guys. I, and, and it's... It's not even that if you just plugged him in every day, you're not going to get great production. You are. I just think you could actually improve your production by avoiding certain matchups in certain parks with him, which, which is maybe a benefit, right? Maybe it's a reason to go get him because you can, you can pretty easily pick out on a, in a regular season 20 and a, this season be, maybe five or six bad games. and You can, you can be you can, opportunistic with him in yeah. a way you can't. So – this might be more jumping ahead to sleepers or something, but like, what kind of player do you platoon with Arenado that you can afford with Arenado? If you're because if you're going out and getting Arenado, like, how much money are you spending, Justin? Like, you're spending a lot of money, right? 
Oh, absolutely, yeah, because it's he's a forty dollar plus guy. I, I don't think it's it's even possible to to platoon him functionally. And and and, and can I just say real quick before chat starts again, <laughs> it's pat it's patently ridiculous <laughs> to suggest that you that you platoon Nolan Arenado, considering he was better at home and away than Jose Ramirez was at in home or away either. So. All right, Arenado well, so, on the road was better than uh, Jose Ramirez at home last year. So well, let's let's back up. Like if you you asked the question about if there's anyone else elite, Chad took issue with Arenado uh, being able to like being able to improve on Arenado, which is actually an interesting str- strategy, I think. But uh, Chad, who else do you have as like elite on that level of Arenado? Because Arenado is. I mean, I think that that top tier. I think that the thing that's interesting to me about the top tier is you've got this mix of sort of established studs and young guns, right? And so, like, for me, Arenado, Ramirez, and Rendon are probably at the top, and then you got Chris Bryant and Josh Donaldson sort of right there as established guys you know you're going to get good production out of. And then you've got guys like Rafael Devers, uh, Yon Mancata, Vlad. Like, you've got this, this second tier or, or near, in some cases, I think some people believe part of that first tier of young guys who are still establishing themselves, who the ceiling is still a high. Um, and I think especially in, you know, in a redraft league, it may not be that big a deal. Like who cares if the guy's younger or older or whatever. And I don't know, you get a really interesting question. If you're going to spend your money at third base of, do you spend on a guy who might be a little bit older, but is going to get you production? Or do you spend that money on a guy who the production might not be quite as good or might not be quite as guaranteed, but you could have this guy for years, for a decade. It definitely, and it definitely seems like there's that a really stark dichotomy at the position. I, now that you mentioned that, that I think that's true. Like you've got a lot of up and coming, young, almost quasi studs at third base, and then a lot of sort of older, dependable guys like Donaldson and Justin Turner's another guy that I seem to own in a lot of leagues over the last handful of years because he's he's not that exciting, but he's dependable when he plays and. It's it's not too difficult to mix a match at third base if you you know if he if he has to miss time so um, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think that's I, I I think that that goes for the position pretty well it fits that and then you got Mancata as well um, he's not normally a guy that I believe in necessarily but I if the price is right I, I, I in fact I just bought him in the league we've been talking about that new four by four league um, I won him at twenty one dollars which is a little more than I wanted but I was also feel like I was starting to get shut out of the position so. Well, according to Chad, you can't get shut out of this position because there are so many third basemen. Well, he might be right, but I. But if anybody can, it's me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wait, when enough. you say you get you got shut out, what, what's been like your what's your worst third base situation? I, you know, I was I was just starting to look through my teams to to try to, to try to figure that out because I think in some leagues, and maybe it, that was more of a problem last year than it is the rosters I have going into twenty twenty. Um, but there were a handful of situations where I was playing guys that had second base, like they were a second base, third base eligibility guy. And yeah, I mean, he could, he was good enough to play at third base, but really I was being inefficient by using him there. Um, and, and that's more what I meant. Like the true third base is their best positional value. I feel like I often just am not paying what people are willing to pay for those guys. Like, I, I, like, I don't know if that's my positional values or just lower on, on the third base only guys or what, but. So it's that when you say third base only, are you really talking like 
obviously, you know, a, a Bregman, a Machado, and Eduardo Escobar, so, like guys who play middle infield, you're not playing at third base unless you have to. Moustakis. What about, like, uh, a Chris Bryant, or I mentioned J.D. Davis, uh, Brian Anderson, Hunter Dozier, the guys who play outfield and third base? I, I think, to me, when, when looking at replacement level values over the last handful of years, to me, and I mentioned this in our, our notes for this episode as, as sort of part of the strategy section, but to me, third base and outfielder are almost interchangeable when it comes to replacement value. So I feel like there's a and, and there seems to be a lot of guys like like Brian and Dozier and, and the handful that you name there that have that dual eligibility, or at least those are two of the multiple eligibilities that they have. It, it almost feels like a hinge position where you can own a Bryant, play him at third until you acquire a third baseman later and then shift him back into your outfield. Um I, I think it's 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 interchangeable. If you have a guy that's got both position eligibilities, the only reason I, I on my own internal sort of ranking of positions, the only reason I push those players to outfield is just because you have so many more spots to fill, right? And right. third third base is a onesie position. You might run a utility as a as a second third baseman, but in general, like I own one third baseman that's in my lineup, and then I have one backup, and I'm not normally playing a third baseman at util. Um, and and whereas outfield, you've got to fill five lineup spots plus you know the, all the other, the games you got to fill. Those right. outfield spots, those back outfield spots, I often use for platoon guys, um, which often means that I can have a JD Davis or a Hunter Dozier, who I use in the outfield most of the time, but can flex over to third base fairly often, fairly easily. Um, I feel comfortable treating my third base as a sixth outfield slot in a lot of cases, um, and and I think that might be part of where my commentary on, on Arenado is coming from is if I look at some of the guys who I think you can get relatively inexpensively, who you can use fairly often at other positions or something like that, who you also could use to spell Arenado. I mean, Arenado, you said, was what, a 355 WOBA on the, uh, last year on the road. On the road, yeah. Here, here's a list of third basemen who had a higher overall season WOBA than that, who you could have gotten relatively cheaply. So Tommy Edmond was at 357, Hunter Dozier 360, Yuli Gurliel at 364, Gio Urshela 369, JD Davis 373. Um, yeah. Then you start to get into more expensive guys. But for, yeah, for, you absolutely can take some of those guys, most of whom play multiple other positions, use them regularly somewhere else, and find a day where you've got an outfielder, you've got a deep enough outfield because you've got good matchups, and Arenado's on the road, and you bench him. It absolutely makes sense. It's not going to happen a lot. Um, but I do think that I, I think that there, there's a there's a gap there, and it's third base is so deep when you start including those outfield eligible guys. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent And and even like I said, the the guys that are like second base, third base eligible, like Musakas or um, yeah, you know it, it it definitely or Howie Kendrick, you know second base, third base, first base. Um, yeah, this is one of those positions you can really have a lot of fun uh, compiling a position here or. Being able to get to your games because there are so many guys who have cross eligibility from third base, yeah. it's it, that are that are incredibly useful, right? Like it's, and, and I think maybe maybe that's part of my hangup. Honestly, is is because I when I'm noting guys like the position eligibility on the surplus calculator, I use what I consider the best eligibility for a player to denote the position that they're at, their primary position, and because so few like third base is second lowest to first base. Third base is second to everything, right? Like you, you know, so it's it's most guys if they're third base on the surplus calculator, it's because they don't have another better position that they're eligible at. And any of the ones that do, 
they're 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 listed as an outfielder. They're listed as a second baseman. So I think maybe sometimes I feel like my third base position is worse than it really is without realizing that a lot of these other guys are in interchangeable, um, especially in a backup sense, right? Like if I own um, Donaldson at third base, I don't need a third base only backup. I'm fine running LeMahieu and shifting him over when I have to or, or what have you. Um, right. Or Gur- so- Gur- Guriel or somebody like that where <clears> – <throat> You know, I, I, backup third baseman, especially if you have a stud, it, it's probably not that important to worry about necessarily. So, because it is that that onesie position. Yeah, I think um, my my run in our league, League One, uh, this year will have Donaldson at third base, and I'll be running uh, like sort of a mix bag of backups to fill in the games. And I think that's a position. This is a position where you can do that, and that to me makes it. Um, you know, just like a little bit less stressful to figure it out. Like, I got a studio and I have Estrubal Cabrera, and there's a few guys on the waiver wire. Like, like Chad mentioned, like there are a lot of players that, if you have to get a spot start from them, you're feeling you're not feeling like the end of the world. You know, it's not like uh, other positions where you can start feeling really stressed when you have to catch up on outfield or uh, or a middle infield. Uh, third base really gives you like a, a, a nice flexibility. I think yeah. if you look at just third base only or third base first base guys, like there's enough to fill up a league pretty easily, right? You've got Arenado, Ramirez, Rendon, Devers, Vlad, Chapman, Suarez, Moncada, Donaldson, Sano, Turner, Guriel is 11. And then you get into like Yandy Diaz, Giorgella, uh, Matt Carpenter, Travis Shaw, Nato Nunez. Like, there's a the, – you, you, you have 11 guys if you don't touch any other position. And then when you start to layer in anybody who has outfield eligibility or something like that, you start to add in Chris Bryant can fill in there, J.D. Davis, Hunter Dozier, Brian Anderson, Austin Riley. Like, there's just so many guys. Um, yeah, the, top, the top end of that, though, is definitely util, util potential, right? Like, that's true. Like with with Rendon or Bryant or of course uh, Arenado, who I guess I should now lightly suggest as util eligible. But I mean, these guys, you know, they can really fill in your util and be and be be really nice producers in those positions as well. So, so we had talked about like what third baseman I actually have on my roster. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on this because I know people don't really care about who's on your specific fantasy team. But so I have one roster where I actually have Arenado and Justin Turner. So Turner's my util. Right. I have another roster with Vlad Jr. And then I don't have. And then I have Abraham Tor- Toro is my backup third baseman. Like I have a couple. Like. David Fletcher is the only other third base eligible guy I have in that roster. So that roster is definitely lacking in third base. Um, another one I've got Manny Machado. So he's shortstop eligible, but he's he's the best third base best third base eligible guy I have on the on the roster. Um, and I also have Mustaka, so I could shift. So I that this particular roster I just am talking about right now. I have a lot of multi eligible guys. So there's a lot of guys that are just going to play all over. Um, right, and, and you know we were talking about this a little bit with first base uh, in our last episode, but. Like third base is the inverse of that. Where like, I feel a little stressed about catching first base because it's hard to find those games in a way that's like acceptable uh, auto new production. And I think third base, you know, you don't have that problem as much. You have like an opportunity to to build the kinds of uh, do the kinds of roster construction Justin's talking about, where you can piece together the extra pieces you need, and you can have a lot of fun with it this year, especially given the short season. Uh, you can 
roster guys that you will be able to patch in here and there as days off come up and whatever. So having these multi-eligible third base guys, it's going to be, I think that's sort of like what you orient around because those guys could, they're always going to find a spot uh, in a lineup and uh, they're useful for filling out your, you know, your outfield, your third base, maybe middle infield if you can. So third base is a place where I never feel stressed unlike everywhere else on my infield. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm coming around to that. I think maybe my perspective is, is skewed by the fact that I'm such a price sensitive strategy when I'm, when I'm going into an auction that I think I'm just not valuing the third base position positionally as much as most auto new owners are. And I'm not willing to pay the price for the Arenados, Donaldson's, Jose Ramirez. And then I'm not buying those guys. So then I'm mixing and matching and I'm, I feel like I'm in a worse position than I probably really am because you're right. And, And I feel like third base is, is that position where every once in a while you get a first base only guy who gets shifted over there and plays enough. And then all of a sudden you have a third baseman you weren't expecting. Right. Um, you know, and that, that, that happens enough or, or, you know, or a second baseman who, who adds that position eligibility, um, to third base. So, um, I mean there, I agree. There's definitely a lot of interesting names and in general, the position's deep. It just feels like a, it's a strange mix of it's, it's a corner infield spot that has a high points per game, replacement level in in terms of points um but i also don't tend to run one in my util unless i own like an arenado or justin turner i mean normally i have a another first baseman that i'm yeah, running the first there baseman yeah so who's, uh, we've talked a lot about how many good third basemen there are we've talked a little bit about this this you know strategic decision of like how do you use those multi-position guys who do you see as not good like who who's gonna bust Am I the only one who's going to have an answer to this? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I think you can look at. Um, I'll be honest. Like to me, I would be concerned about Jose Ramirez if I was buying him based on what he was doing, uh, you know, in 2018 and 2017. Um, if if his backslide last year was real, or even partially real, I think like a lot of a lot of pricing this year has been above and beyond what the projections expect and, and are almost sort of just expecting a full bounce back from him. And I think that's definitely possible, but I'd be a little wary about paying that price. And again, that's, I mean, I just said it a few minutes ago, like I'm just not paying the price at some of that. And, and Chad's absolutely right about Arenado. If he were to get traded or if he, if, you know, any of these Rockies guys, if their situation changes at all, um, you know, what if, what if Colorado has, can't play home games? What if they have to move to a different park to one of their right. affiliates or something? You know, what what kind of effect might that have on their value if they're not hitting in, in cores anymore? So, yeah, um, I think the I think Arenado. That's a good question. I think that this year, um, I don't think there's any chance they trade Arenado. I know there was I, a bunch of talk of it before. Not I just think, not with everything going see, on. No, right? there's not going to be any big trades this year at all. I think across baseball, there will be no major trades. That's my guess. Um, I could be wrong about that, but like. You know, if you're if you're the you're you know the, the two sort of big names you're still getting tossed around are Arenado and Lindor, and if you're the Indians, you're the Rockies. Talking about those two guys, anybody you try to trade them to now is going to be like, yeah, well, I'm discounting the 2020 season by like 95. percent So we're not giving you any value for this year. It's only the future. And if that's the case, just wait till December, right? Yeah. So I don't. I just don't think you're going to see any big names move, and so I'm less worried about that this year than I would be in in other years. Um, 
I think on 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 Ramirez, I, I'm not worried about a full bounce back because it already happened. Like his 2017, 2018, he was in like a three nineties for his WOBA. July, August, September last year, he was over 400. Um, he was over 400 in July and August, and then over 600 in September. Uh, and at like 441 for the second half, though September was only three games because he didn't play a ton. But uh, I- like he was a 441 WOBA in the second half, a 176 WRC plus. The bounce back happened. It's not a question of whether or not it's a full bounce back. It's right. only it was a- like a well publicized reason for that bounce back too, right? Like approach changed, right? Like yes. he was told very clearly to. Uh, stop trying to hit every part, every ball out of the park. Go back to your natural swing motion, right? Like, I mean, that was like right. told broadly as a story um, about uh, launch angles and the fall- fallacy of just trying to change your swing automatically. And after after he was open about being like, I'm just going to go back to hitting, he hit. How how crazy is that though? I mean, because his it's first crazy. his first half. I mean, it's, it was it was it's, a two eighty two woba. It's in the pits. Six, 68 yeah. WRC plus, and then it was a four forty one one seventy six in the so, seven, second half. Like if you if you look at his uh, uh, just his um, pull splits from first half and second half. In the first half last year, he was pulling the ball forty six point seven percent of the time, going up the middle twenty nine, and going the other way twenty four point three percent of the time. He shifted about seven percent away from the opposite field into the pull field in the second half. Yeah, so a, a 52.8 pull instead of a 46.7 and a 17.6 opposite instead of 24.3. Um, and at the same time, went from 36% hard hit rate per, this is, you know, on, on the fan graphs, to 47.9%. It's, it's literally, it's exactly what Niv said. He was trying to use the whole He was field. trying to he beat the shift, be, right? Yeah. He was trying to be this, like, complete hitter instead of being a power hitter. And then he was like, no, screw that. I'm going to be a power hitter. Well, I think and it we... turns out he's really good at that. <laughs> Right, like he was told to beat the shift, and or he yeah. decided he wanted to beat the shift. I think that's what it was. Like he internally decided to beat the shift, and uh, somewhere around the All Star break, his agent said, "What if you didn't? <laughs> what if you just hit there, into there, the shift there, really hard?" There are so and, many problems with that story. Like I know, right? I mean, yeah, Justin. I mean, you're right. It, that is an insane story. Like he's a professional baseball player. He's been a, a peak of his profession for at least three years, like literally the top tier. And he has to be told that kind of thing. But I think we see this a lot with guys. I think there's a lot of guys like Gallo went through this where he felt like he had to just try to figure out a way to beat the shift. And it was like, no, just crush the ball. Right. And if the shift, like, is the shift going to take a hit away from you here and there? Yeah. Who cares? You're going to hit it through it most of the time. ball singles between first and second or to go the other way and put it between third and put it in the hole between third and short. So if you lose five hits a year, ten hits a year, and your batting average goes down, who cares? Hit the ball out of the park. Right. Right. And I think that's what you saw from from Ramirez. And so maybe, I mean, I get it. I understand why you So do you think, Justin, there's reason to have skepticism about the story in terms of like... Well... I, I, I almost always am skeptical of any narrative. <laughs> I mean, I just not because they're not true, not because people aren't human beings, right? And there there are reasons why certain performance changes happen. Um, it's, I think it's just very hard to know, is this the right narrative or is did something else happen? I mean, 
his, his BABIP was 234 in the first half. He was trying to beat the shift. I mean, he was failing epically then his, because he wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even getting those hits dropping in. Um, you know, his walk rate regressed in the second half. Are you concerned at all about that, that he was only walking 6% of the time? His contact was the same. He didn't really, you know, he didn't really strike out anymore, but his, his walk rate was actually worse in the second half. He was hitting for a lot more power. He was hitting uh, more line drives and, and obviously pulling the ball more, as Chad mentioned, but... I mean, I'm not anti Jose Ramirez. He's just always been a guy that confounds me in terms of his skill and and the way that. I mean, once once I thought, oh, okay, it took me years and years to believe that maybe he was for real, and then the year I might have bought into it, he put up a clunker. <laughs> right, so right, at least right. for the first half. So um, he's he's just an enigma to me. But I understand that that's more my blind spot than it is any problem with him necessarily. Well, in the- in the running theme of this podcast, for uh, thankfully for Nats fans and Indians fans this year, there will not be a first half of the season, so we get right to the good part, right? So, well, oh, okay, or 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 it's all first half, right? That's what I was gonna say. Or bear with me here; it's all first half, and you don't get the improvement at all. Well, you know, I think we have uh, some Nats fans and Indians fans that would not like that to be true. So it depends see. on whether you think it's tied to the calendar months or whether you think it's tied to the X. Ex- X right, number of right. games to start the season. So, right, right, right. Justin, you were talking about um, Ramirez maybe being a blind spot for you. You were slow to buy in, and then you bought in, and he had a clunker, and so maybe you're just not the right guy. And I think the guy I see as a potential bust at third base, I'm, I am a con- I'm concerned that I'm taking that approach, and that's Yoan Moncada. Um, I didn't. I, I just. I haven't been a fan of his. I've never been a fan of his. I never really thought he was going to be everything people thought he would. Then he wasn't everything people thought he would, and I was sort of taking my victory laps. And then last year, he uh, he, he was good last year, like, put, put bluntly. But I look at what he did last year, and, and I want to be clear. Um, at the right price, I'm very happy to own him. I think he'll be a totally fine starting third baseman. I don't think if you're starting with third base, you have a problem necessarily. I think the issue is people are looking at this guy, former top prospect, breakout last year, still only 25, like, who knows what might come next? And what I think is going to come next is a massive regression. Um, I, I think that his uh, he had a BAPIP over 400 last year. His home run per fly ball rate was 20% last year. It was 11.7% the year before that. Um, I, I, I'm not... I just think we're going to see a big, big regression, and I'm not sure it's fully baked into the pro- projections. Um, and even if it is baked into the projections, right, the, the projections have him, depth charts projections has him at a 341 on base, 479 slugging, 344 Woba. All of those are better than his career numbers, but they're barely better, right? So the, the, the projections are discounting last year significantly, and I'm still not sure they're discounting it enough. Um, and so I am, I'm a little, I'm skeptical uh, that he's going to, you know, produce like a top five third baseman. I'm skeptical he's going to produce like a top 10 third baseman. And he's, he's priced in at a top five price, right? He's, he's over 20. Um, yeah. I mean, if I look at. In, in new leagues, he's over 20. Yeah. And his average is, is even higher than that. So he's, yeah. he's not an inexpensive ad. He's the ninth most expensive third baseman in in new leagues, um, and that includes Chris Bryant being ahead of him. So he's being paid as as the eighth best third baseman, basically, if you count Bryant uh, as an outfielder. Um, and I start looking now you, again. You get into this sort of 
you know, future versus present. I would rather have Josh Donaldson, who's behind him. I would rather have Miguel Sano, who's behind him. Uh, this year, I'd rather have Justin Turner, who's behind him. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see guys like Yuli Gurriel, J.D. Davis um, outperform, his, outperform him as well. Uh, and that's without getting into any sort of like sleepers who might break out. And so do I think Mankata is going to be a top 15 third baseman? Do I think he, yeah, I think so. Um, I could see a path to him not being in the top 15. I think his downside is probably still top 20, um, which given that some third basemen are being used at util and stuff makes him a, a, a serviceable guy. I just think you're paying for him, um, like, the top five guys are over 30 bucks. You've got a $46 Arenado, 36 for Ramirez, 35 for Rendon, 33 34 for Devers, and then Vlad at 32 And then you've got this chunk of Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez, Yon Mancata, and Josh Donaldson between 21 and 23 um, And then you've got two other guys over $10, Sano and Turner. And Mankata's my last choice of that group. Easily my last choice of that group. And he's not paid like it. Right. Um, I'm I'm not a big Mankata fan, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take any issue with any of that. I I, I think the hype the hype scared me off and made him a little too uh pricey to roster early. And uh yeah, I mean last year was his first year of showing me anything, I think. I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you for the most part, Chad, especially in terms of how I felt about Moncada going into last year. I think the only pushback I would have, there's two two things I would slightly push back on. Number one, I think the projections are pretty fair for Moncada. I think projecting him to be slightly better than his career average as he you know enters his 25-year-old season, that to me is fair. I don't think that that's over um estimating what his true talent level should be right now um and i also think he's just one of those guys that just has really loud tools right like he he has the pedigree this isn't like a guy who you know had some hype but he never really performed and he never really had the physical tools like he he did perform in the minor leagues he does have that skill if he became a top five third baseman this year it would not shock me at all if he, you know, and he kind of almost had that breakout last year, but if he continues that, I wouldn't be surprised. So I understand why auto new owners are sort of buying into what he did last year and the fact that he's so young and he has all that, that name brand recognition and that, that, that market hype. Um, but I also agree with you, Chad, that there's definitely going to be, um, regression, that it's not going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be a repeat of last year necessarily. You have to bake in some backslide from him. So, um, yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, uh, I, I don't have a big issue with your, your cautious optimism about Moncada. I think that's like a pretty reasonable place to be. Um, but the problem for me is that, uh, getting, getting an option, an opportunity to roster him is challenging, right? Like getting a, a, a like we're looking at these uh, average prices, but a lot of them are guys uh, who have just held him ever since he came up, right? So um, finding an option for uh, picking up, like adding Moncada to your team uh, at a price that bakes in the risk that we're talking about, I, I would just be careful about that. I think that's like where you have to uh, draw some caution. I, I don't. Yeah. Well, and. It, not sorry, I, I apologize no, for stepping on you. Um, that goes back to the point that I've been making too: is that 
those prices and, and, and Chad just listed, you know, in order what those top prices are for third baseman and first year leagues. All of those are five to ten dollars above what I would want to pay for half those, you know, for right. most of those That's guys. So, yeah. I mean, it, that just doubles down on the point that I've been making that for whatever reason, and, and a lot, maybe it's just because there are a lot of exciting third basemen, but I think people are just they're too wrapped up in that and they don't realize that there is some depth. And because of the positional value of third base, it's just it's not shortstop, it's not outfield where you really, um, you know, you really get a lot more value from from somebody hitting. And, and you have outfield, you need that extra depth, so there's it lowers the replacement level. But, um, I mean, I just, I, yeah, there's a lot of exciting third basemen, but I don't know that I want to pay the market price for hardly any of them. Right, and so it's, it's really a risk tolerance question at third base. And I think, uh, you know, this year, um, I, when I was, we were talking about this a little before, about sleepers and whatnot, like orienting it around where you can find surprise value might be the right way to manage most of 2020 right across all your uh all your positions uh but at third base i think that especially works because there's just a lot of guys with third base eligibility and you should be able to piece together a third base and i mean to segue off of Moncada a little bit another guy that almost fits in that mold to me is vlad jr right like i love him but he's going for what was it 32 dollars in first year leagues which is even higher than Moncada. Yeah, and his 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 year last year was, I mean, below average for auto new third baseman, um, barely above average major league baseball third baseman in, ter- in terms of at the plate. But he I had that home run in Montreal, man. So you know, I, I mean, look, I understand being excited about him right for the future, but thirty two dollars in a first year league for a player that. You're not going to have him for the future if you spend that much money on him right now. You know. I mean, based on projections on the surplus calculator, he's he's a twenty dollar player, and even that feels like a pretty good, you a know, bullish. Yeah. yeah, a bullish a bullish uh, number to, to attach to him. But um, to me, like if we're gonna if we're gonna mention Moncada as a possible bust, I think Vlad might put up another three thirty three wob a year, like because he's still so young, um, and people are paying him like he's already in that next tier, right below the studs. I almost feel like I, I, I gloss over him as a potential bust because I don't understand what he's being paid for. Like he's a he's a prospect at this point. Yeah. Right? He's a he's a twenty year old who got called up early because he really had nothing to prove in the minors, but he's like I get, like, I look at Mankata, I'm like, oh, people are paying 21 22 23 bucks for him. I get why they're doing that. I just think they're wrong. Right. I look at what Vlad, what they're, what's going on with Vlad, and I'm like, I, there's just, there's two people in every league willing to pay 35 40 bucks for this guy for reasons that are just beyond me. Um, he's done nothing to, to justify that kind of investment. Um, I have, I've only had, ever had, I think I had two shares of him in the past, one... I ro- yeah, I've rushed him twice. One league, I traded him away because the value on a trade was just too good to pass up. Uh, the other was a non-auto new league where there's there's vote offs. He got voted off my team. Right. It was like he was like eight dollars, and I was like, he's worth about eight dollars. That's that's those that's a two hundred and sixty dollar cap in that league. And I was like, okay, vote him off. I'll I'll pay you know ten twelve bucks to get him back maybe to see what he does. Someone paid twenty nine for him. Okay, yeah, I, I, I mean, if we're filtering on first-year leagues only, his his average salary, um, his average price in those first-year auctions is just a shade under $32. It's basically $32 exactly. At $33, you have Chris Bryant. 
and at 33 and a half you have Raphael Devers. Like, why is he only pay, a couple pay, dollars less than them? Like, pay oh, two bucks and get Devers. Devers, yeah, I right. for sure. Like, I mean, obviously, I'm a Cubs fan, and I believe that that Brian is gonna, you know, is gonna go back to what he was. At least I hope he will. But <laughs> I would rather have Devers than Bryant right now. So I would, I would gladly pay an extra two dollars for Devers. Than Vlad Jr. I mean, to me, or that's just four dollars for Rendon, or the extra five dollars for Jose Ramirez. But I mean, or the spe- extra fifteen dollars for Arenado. I mean, <laughs> like, spe- any of those are better deals. I just mean specifically for Devers. Like to me, he's yeah. a he's a perfect complement because if you're so focused on that that youth factor and that young player, I, you want to own that guy. Devers is that guy. He he was that guy Devers, too. Devers right? has all that, and, how, and he struggled yeah. for a few years before he broke out, and and that could easily be the same path that Vlad is on. That he he's in the majors, he's a league average hitter at a very young age for a few years, and then he breaks out massively. So, That's kind of what Devers did. I'll say I I think there's a really good chance that I'm going to roster Vlad in like seventy five percent of my leagues in 2022 right right like i'm gonna give him a couple more years of not being as good as everybody thought he was gonna be his price being too high people getting sick of him and then he's gonna come back down and be like a 15 dollar guy because that's what he sort of looks like and then he's gonna break out that correction yeah i mean right i mean he's what he's doing at his age is incredible he is not a 32 dollar player in any auto new format i mean Let's let's shift from from guys who we think are paid too much. Who are the sleepers? Who are the guys who are gonna have a bigger season than their their price would suggest? I I think for me I I whenever I think about sleepers, I'm all I'm almost always thinking about like those really cheap guys, right? Like I same exact same. You know, it, it's it's a Travis Shaw, it's a Todd Frazier, it's you know, it's these really Renato Nunez for the for the Orioles. It's sort of these guys that are not really that exciting necessarily not like a sleeper or a breakout in terms of you know a lot of hype or pedigree necessarily but somebody that i can get for a buck or two that i think could be a five to ten dollar player and and i can just roll with and not worry about the position um and not panic that i didn't spend a lot of money at auction um i mean not the not guys that i am super confident in their ability to do that but at least enough so that i'm willing to, to take those risks um i mean those those are a few of the names for me I'm always looking for reasons why uh, why a guy was bad last year and won't be this year, right? And so um, the, the, two, uh, the two names that sort of jump out at, at me and that I, I've been rostering in a lot of leagues are Shaw, who you already mentioned. He tried to adjust his swing. It's, it's actually a very similar story to Jose Ramirez. He tried to adjust his swing last year. It went south. It went south way further than Ramirez yeah. did. Um, and then he didn't have any leash to work with. And so he never really got a chance to fix it. And we haven't seen it, right? Unlike like, The difference with Ramirez is Ramirez at the All-Star break made a change and it shows. Shaw is basically saying, guys, I've got this. Don't worry. I've got this right, fixed. Right, right. But effectively what he said was, I tried to fix my swing. It turns out my swing wasn't broken. And I never, like, he spent so much, his story is he spent so much time working on the new swing that he couldn't just go back. Um, he got himself too ingrained in the wrong behaviors. And now he's had a full off season and a full half additional off season. <laughs> his swing is back where it should be. And if that's the case and Shaw goes back to being the guy he was um, for the, the $2 or whatever it's going to take to get him in most leagues, uh, at least in first year leagues. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. He's 215 in those first year leagues. I've been paying uh, a, a good amount more than that. Um, 
where I've had to because I think that he could be a $20 player. Uh, he has been before. Um, and the other guy who falls into a sort of a similar camp for me is Jake Lamb, who had he had some shoulder issues in 2018. His 2019 never really got off the ground. He had other he had a leg injury at some point last year. Um, he's got to be healthy. I don't know if he will be right, but um, they went Arizona went and replaced him. Right, they went out and they made changes, and there's no room for him in the lineup. And all of a sudden, there's a DH in the NL, and he is he's an ideal candidate for their DH slot. Um, I think there's a good chance he platoons with Kevin Cron uh, in that spot. But he'll also be, I think he's also going to be sort of their super utility guy because he can come in and play third base and have uh, Eduardo Escobar move over to second and have Quetzal Marte play, I don't know, anywhere except catcher, I guess. <laughs> he can play basically everywhere. Right, 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 um, right. And so they've got a lot of flexibility if they, to, to use him in different ways if he hits. And again, um, like as we've talked about in the 2020 season, like that's an important factor yeah. for this season, right? Was knowing how many games are going to be jammed into so many days. Um, what we have, we're looking at 66 days, 60 games. So, yeah, I mean, like when you have when you can find something like that, where like again, you'll be finding your spots in the lineup. Arizona is a great example of that, of being able to um, find guys who will hit. And if they give you the eligibility going into the season, you're not going to lose it in 2021, and you get to hold it through the whole year. So it doesn't matter if Lamb doesn't actually ever play third, right? So, yeah. And it, the one guy that I think that I would, he he's sort of my my fantasy kryptonite that I still think, even though he's not a cheap option, he's more like a mid middle tier option right now that could be a sleeper is Miguel Sano where I still think that there's like a 400 plus Woba season at any, at a moment's notice, if he makes any gains at, at making contact, like he already has, when the he makes contact, it's, it's, disgusting. It, right. it's, 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 it's loud and it's far. I can hear it right now. You know, as an <laughs> right. Indians fan, I can hear it right now. So I, I, to me, like, and he's, he's an average first year average price of about 14 and a half. So that's, you know, that's definitely solidly middle tier, but I think he could be a guy that could jump up into that 25 to $35 third base range easily. I, I agree. I think the challenge I have with Snow is in, in most of my leagues, he's already getting close to that $25 range. I don't think there's a real discount on him. No, not um, in existing years, because he's, he sort of has the same problem that, you know, a lot of these league. other... What, what, what right? did he go for in that league? I guess I don't... Okay. Yeah, wow. I'm surprised it was as, mu- it was as much as that. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's not like, I get it. I understand, like, I think there's a lot of people who believe that there's more left in that bat, but I feel like he's a guy who should be, like, I feel like he's like a $15 guy who should be going for 18 because he might be 25, and instead he's going... He's going for 25. Yeah. Or, or, or even more. Actually, look at my, my five leagues, the five leagues I'm in, he's 22, 18, 19, both of those are fine. Those are leagues I wasn't in until, like, the last couple of weeks, so I never had a chance to do anything about <laughs> uh, But... The, the leagues I drafted with this year, he's 22 in the original Auto New League, which has been going for years. He's 23 in League 670, which is, I think, on our fourth or fourth year. I think our fourth year. And then he's $27 in our first year draft in the in 11.99. I, I just don't see the discount there. I like him at those prices. I actually have no issue with him. I'd be happy to have him as my third baseman at that price. I just think he's being paid for he's being paid for his 75th percentile outcome. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Like he was tied for the sixth most expensive 
third base, you know, not counting the guys that have eligibility like at second or outfield. Um, for the third base only or the first base, third base eligibility guys, he was the sixth most expensive guy tied with Matt Chapman. And I, this is a four by four. So it's, you know, it's a little bit different than what I'm used to as far as where the value is. But I mean, of course the number one, if we were, we were just talking about Vlad, the most expensive third baseman in that league in that first year auction was Vlad jr. At $40. So he went above Arenado and Jose Ramirez, and then it was Devers and then Rendon and then Sano. Um, and then Chapman and Donaldson, and then Ud- Suarez, who we haven't even mentioned, right? We haven't even mentioned Suarez, and that's another... Suarez is exactly the thing that Suarez is, right? Suarez is like, he's priced at it. If you want to find his average value, his average salary, like he is exactly the thing he is, which is a very solid option at third base. But people are, you know, and, and he's being priced properly, I think. Like, I mean, if you look at the average... I'm curious what his first year price is because I'm wondering if he isn't also a little bit of a, a discount. I mean, Maybe twenty twenty two seventy four, so just a shade under twenty three dollars for Suarez in first year. It just leagues. seems so right to me. That's like I, I think Suarez is the only one who's correct of all the people we've talked about. Yeah, <laughs> I think he. I think that might be right because to me, he's a guy that he doesn't get. A, he's not as as hyped as some of the other guys that we've named, yeah. but he's still like he's his had production multiple, is great. Right, the production is there. Um, and it's a good park, and he's got he, a role. He hit 49 and, home runs last year. Right. Yeah, I mean, the production yeah, I mean, is there. Yeah, it's certainly there. But if you're going to name, I mean, this is the first time we've mentioned him, right? So, like, But it's also yeah. like nobody is paying for the 49 home runs, right? Nobody is sitting here and saying, this guy's a 50 home run guy now, like, right. which I think is rational. I think that's a rational way of looking at him. Um, but I think he's a productive – I mean, he's not just a productive third baseman. He's, he's a solid, uh, solid plus third baseman. Yeah, the, the only thing with him that, that may be impacting his his pricing a little bit is he had that shoulder issue in the offseason, right? He had a, a surgery to clean something up. Um, it didn't cost him any games last year. He played 159 last year. But, like, I know as a uh, – I have Suarez on my roster in League One. I have him for $15. I at no point considered cutting him because right. uh, that would have been crazy talk. <laughs> um, but I did have some – concerns about whether or not I could rely on him and it impacted I think had we had I been doing a first year draft or a draft where he was a free agent in in March or in February right I, I would have been a little bit cautious on him because he got a shoulder thing and he's a power hitter and he might miss the start of the season you start to like it gets a little dicey at that point um he benefits I think greatly from this time off right like yeah yeah, his yeah shoulders should be fully healed he got he got through like shoulders hitters so often work through shoulder injuries um he didn't have to do that right he didn't have to start playing as early as he could to try to help the reds he got to actually rest it so hopefully he comes back actually healthy um yeah um, I got a couple names for sleepers, uh, and when I think of sleepers, I ex- I also think the way Justin thinks. Um, guys you can get at the dollar days or off the waiver wire after you're done. Uh, and again, like when we're thinking about third base, in especially the shortened season, you want guys who can get you like 20 good games, and if there's upside, you run with it, and there's not ups- if they're not meeting that upside, you can you can discard, you can try to find someone else, or you can... You can find place ways to fill out that third base uh, sixty game limit. Um, I think Michael Franco, uh, who's at the Royals now, yep. uh, is a really interesting player. I think uh, 
Philadelphia, he always underperformed, uh, frustratingly so, I think. And, uh, you know, his his tools are there. It's interesting. He's a little bit on the older side. But he's a $2 player right now. Like, this is not a, this is not a big investment to check out what Mikel Franco can bring in a 60-game season in a, with a new team. Um, and I think... I find it, I find it really, really hard not to look at Franco and see Jorge Soler. I mean, right? the way, the Who went way to the they... Royals last year. There was this whole, like, oh, he's a power hitter going to that terrible power park. He's never really lived up to what people thought he could be. He's been good, but not, not great. And he was just awesome last year. And I don't know if that was just he just broke out or if that was, like, something going on with the Royals coaching staff that they were able to help them unlock something. I haven't looked into it enough to know if that's the case. But when I look at Franco, I see, like, I, I totally, totally wrote off Solaire going into Kaufman. And now I look at Franco and I'm like, huh, maybe I shouldn't make that same mistake twice. I mean, if we look at Franco last year, though, like, I mean, he... I, I I think there is a good comparison there because I, I think I think Philadelphia used him poorly. I think he has uh, the profile of a power hitter, and they batted him eighth and ninth. Like, they did all this stuff because they just didn't believe in him almost from the get, like, almost right away. And, um, and I think, you know, a change of scenery kind of guy, like, again, these are total flyers. Like, this isn't a situation where you're sitting there and being like, how is this a $9 guy that then takes up my third base all year? This is a person you can um, find at-bats for and build a third base around. And to me, like the risk is very low. The reward could be an average third baseman. I don't think I would expect uh, anything much higher than that. But if it's a dollar for an average third baseman, like that sounds great to me. Yeah. Um, my other guy, unless, Justin, you have something you want to say about Mikel Franco that I missed. Nope. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Um, my <laughs> other guy is um, is Matt Carpenter, who is fantasy kryptonite for me for sure. And obviously uh, age is now becoming a question for him. But he mashed the back half of last year. He is an inexpensive player right now. He is readily available in a lot of leagues. Um, that So, the, again, this is like when I'm talking about sleeper, like we're looking at a lot of these players have 97% roster rates or 87% roster rates. Like a lot of auctions have already been completed for this season. And, um, you know, like, we're just trying to find guys that are available that you can maybe complement um, your existing roster with. If you're like, well, given the, given the um, variance in this season and given like the short season, I might not get my 60 games played at third base with started at third base. My, proper number of at-bats. I think Carpenter is like a surefire bet to get at-bats. And if you look at the last two months last year, he mashed. And, you know, he's shown an ability to be literally the streakiest hitter in baseball. Like uh, a couple years ago, he had that month where he hit like every other at-bat was a home run, it felt like. Like he was just on fire. And um, he was ice cold for the first three or four months last year, but he really brought it around in, in August, September. Like, August, he was almost league average, which I know is not a great metric. But September was like, a, what, a 134 OPS plus or whatever. Like, he hit. And we know the guy can hit. And, you know, if you want to get one last hurrah out of a guy for, again, inexpensive and readily available, uh, you could get a 48-hour auction going for him right now. I think uh, Franco and Carpenter uh, are, are two pretty interesting options for that for that niche need. 
Yeah, I mean, I love the Carpenter pick. I think that's, that's spot on. I think for him, there there might be a little bit of a perception that he's one of these these veterans that have struggled for a couple of years and, and, you know, maybe he's toast, but it was really just last year. I mean, 2018, he still had a great year. He was a 375 weighted on base with 36 home runs and he was playing, you know, at the top of the lineup playing 156 games. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's almost expected that he could have a, a dead cat bounce year this year and be right back into that mix after a down season and he's he's a two dollar average price so right in first year leagues. So and he's not just inexpensive. He's on. He's a free agent on all these in all these leagues. Like yeah. he's just available. So I think I think that's a great call. I think for somebody like me that that'll often you know sort of not have a great backup third baseman. If he's a guy that's available in my league, I would I would I would absolutely own him for two three dollars, um, and not even think twice about it. So and the, and the best part is because of the uh, change rules due to the shortened season, which again you can check on the forums. Uh, we are. I mean, he's keeping third base into next year too, right? Oh, that's right. You're that's not true. losing. You're not losing eligibility. So you you have some upside there. If he does hit, um, you have a trade asset. You have um, a worst case scenario, a trade asset. You know what? And honestly, he's doubly uh, benefiting from that too because he's probably going to be their primary DH for the most yep. part. You know, so he's he's going to be the defensive issues aren't as much of a factor because now he can, they're not going to hold them out of a lineup. They're not going to hold them out of. Yeah. Yeah. Or if there's somebody that's pushing, you know, that, that they want to give more time to, they can just, well, he's a DH and then they can then play somebody else in the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he might be the unexciting sleeper third baseman. I think that's a great pick. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, just, just keep an eye out for, you know, check out the average values page. Look at, um, look at what his roster percentage is right now. Look at what he's going for, and like, I mean, it, to me, it just jumped out. And I know, like, he's a, he's a little older, and it's like a, a lot of a lot of things that would make auto new players give pause. But I think it's worth. I think the risk is very low. And 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 my thing here is that like. I'm, I'm obviously I'm like the big surplus guy, but value is value, and surplus is not always these young players that break out. Sometimes it's a veteran who just goes back to his previously established level, and you paid peanuts for him. Right. And, and yeah, he's not going to be on your roster for three more years, but he doesn't have to be, right? Surplus I mean, I'm more fo- surplus, yeah. and I'm more focused with this year, and then maybe into next year, and that's it. Uh, he's 34. He's he's gonna, he's an old you know old player skills and he's going to be probably a dh for the next couple of years but that's fine i just need him to get through this year and he's going to keep that third base eligibility for next year no matter what i'm i'm I, you're, you're selling we, me on it niv we, we might have just we might have just bo- <laughs> broken the sleeperness on him i mean uh, like it's just like a very compelling um i like the yeah. pick i like to pick a lot awesome so we want to talk, uh, so we're talking about guys you can get relatively inexpensively. Do we want to talk prospects? Sure. There's I, some interesting prospects at their base, I think. If I could jump in, because there's one guy that I really like that I wanted, would love to mention first is is Alec Baum in Philadelphia. Um, he's a guy that I own in a handful of places. And to me, he's somebody who could get significant time this year. Yep. And I think he he would hit well enough to be worth rostering in Audenew, even if you weren't, you know, just as a without the prospect value added on to it or the or the future value added on to it. Um, I think he'll be a valuable third baseman in Audenew this year. Do you think that there's space for him? Um, I think that 
he could be in that mix um, now that there's the DH in Philadelphia. Um, I haven't looked at roster resource to see what they're projecting. They're they're expecting around the infield, which is I think what they've had for a while, is Kingery at second, uh, Gregorius at short, and Gene Segura at third. Um, Obviously, those guys all have enough flexibility that, like, if they need to make an opening at third base, like any of those guys faltering, who <laughs> would do it? And and to me, um, like to me, I think it might be Kingery, where Segura slides back to second, and and then they make space at third base for for, yeah. for bomb. Um, yeah, DH would be Jay Bruce as of right now. Who I, I I don't I think the challenge for Philadelphia is like I don't think Jay Bruce. First of all, I do think Jay Bruce can hit. I think he's an interesting guy as a, as an outfield sleeper, and we can talk about that at some point. Um, I don't think he's blocking Alec Baum, but I don't know that they're going to want to put their future third baseman in a DH spot every day unless they really need to. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, so I think that what I don't know with Philadelphia is like, how likely is it? Like, are they competing? Because if they're competing and they need his bat, they will find you fit it in and you don't worry about the development at that point. Um, at least not as much. You let the bat develop, and he works on defense on the side. Um, but if he's, if they're not competing, if they're not in the mix for the division, they're not in the mix for the playoffs, and there isn't some drastic need to move him up. I don't. I just don't know if he. I don't know if he gets the call. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I you to think, me, you you think Gene Segura is blocking Alec Baum? The Alec Baum era in Philadelphia. I, that's the thing that uh, raised that to me. I mean, they signed Gene Segura, or they have Gene Segura on like a like he's an ex, he's not a cheap player, but he's not like he's not just some guy. He's not just some guy, but he is actually productively just some guy, right? Like he he's not he's not blocking you from a. I think the way it works out is the, is again we have a sixty game season. Uh, there will be at bats for Baum because there's going to be at bats for probably 30 guys, right? Like, there's there's going to be enough at-bats to find. And they work them in, they work them in, and if the guy hits, I don't think Gene Segura is the reason that you're not letting him hit, right? I think that's just what it comes down to. No, I mean, Segura, Segura's been a three-war player, three-win player over the last three years, and the year before that, he was a five-win player. Um, I, and, and that's including the fact that he's missed 18, 18, and 37 games. Like, he's missed basically... I don't know, half a season-ish, and still over those three years. Like, I, I think Segura is underrated. I think he's, a, like, and part of that's his defense, and so, like, his offense isn't, doesn't look right. as flashy. But, like, I, I think he's a pretty good player. No, and he's, I do he's think certainly he a fine player, but I'm just saying that if Alec Baum get, I think we can, well, I mean, I would I would postulate that Alec Baum will get to get at-bats in 2020. Uh, I would have said that before the pandemic, now knowing that there's a 60 game season, um, I feel pretty confident in that. I feel more confident in that. And if he hits, I mean, like I, I don't think the Phillies are the kind of team that are going to let a 14 million dollar a guy, 14 million dollar a year guy, block think, their future. But I don't it, think the issue is that he's a 14 million. I don't think the issue is money though. Uh, I think okay. the issue is that I think Segura is part of their future. Like I think if he's going to get, if someone's going to be bad and get out of his way it's going to be kingery who who has been sort of up and down and has a lot of potential still but could kingery could easily play himself into a pure bench role 
where he what? starts three or four games a week, but always is the backup. Right. Well, that's and what... that would make room for Segura at second. But no, I don't think that I, I don't think Segura gets bumped. I don't. I think that we're. I think you're. I think you're underrating his value. As I mean, one player. of those guys is 31 years old or 30 years old or whatever, and the other guy is 26. So, like, I think if I'm Philadelphia and I've I'm thinking about what I want my core to be on offense going forward. I think the person I have the shortest leash. I mean, again, this is a relative conversation, right? If Baum Baum has to hit perfect when he gets his opportunities to hit, and I don't think on day one he's going to get those opportunities. I think he's going to. I mean, they're going to be found. So, yeah. so I think it's relative, and I and I definitely agree with you that Gene Segura, especially on defensive end, he's an, he's he's a. He's absolutely a major league baseball starting player, but he's also not a he's not a big enough name for me to say like well, and and maybe you're right. Maybe what happens is Kingery what Kingery moves to left or something, and I don't know what the outfield situation is there. But like you know, well they've got Cutch, Harper, and then and then Hasley in center field according right, so to that, roster resource. But yeah, so I mean yeah. maybe you you let Bryce play center or something. Um, yeah, I think I mean I I do think. I think there's a path forward there. I just don't think it's actually that clear. Yeah, path. fair enough. Yeah, I think it's going to, and I think that they've got they've got good players. Like Segura, I think is unlikely to be leaving anytime in the next three years. Um, and so, I I don't I don't know. I think he is part of their long term plans. So um, let, let let me wrap up this discussion of Bomb with just a quick question. Do you think he's going to be on the opening day roster for for the Phillies? Because I do. I think he's on the 30-man roster to start the year. That's interesting. Um, Whether he stays there when he gets trimmed to 26, I don't know. But I think he's on that opening 30-day, 30 30-man 30 roster. I mean, looking at roster resource right now, they have 14 bats listed. Those 14 bats are the, the starters who we basically just listed. Plus Andrew Knapp, who's a catcher who they're going to carry. Josh Harrison, Neil Walker, Roman Quinn, and Nick Williams. Um. Then they've got one, two, three, four. I feel like five, any six, Phillies, seven, any Phillies nine, fan ten, would tell you that, like, the last thing that they're, yeah, they, but they, do they? Like, their bullpen stinks, right? Like, they, I mean, like, carry the hitter, man. He's he's going to be a more interesting future piece for you. I just, I don't know if they're going to go with fourteen or fifteen bats. I'm just saying that I think if they, I, I'm not sure it's a given that they're going to put him on the roster if they don't think he's going to regularly hit. Um, if he's not going to regularly get pitches to see or whatever, yeah. If he's just like, I I just don't know. I don't know if they're going to want to do that. Or if they're actually going to be happier to have him like at their facility working every day, it's really hard for me to predict how teams are going to use these prospects. Um, right. I I like Baum too. I think like as the long term outlook. If we're talking about from a pure prospect perspective, I think he's um, he's the guy. Like he's. Um, he has enough of a glove to stick there for a little while at least, and um, he has enough of a bat to be really compelling. And I don't think he's a particularly expensive get in um, Auto New. Um, so I think he is worth uh, checking out. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's, he's got a $3 average value or average yeah, first so year price, which is, is really not that bad considering. That's about where you're playing. Uh, I mean, for given his pedic, like given what the, right, the prospect status, that's, I mean, that's reasonable. That's solid. Yeah. 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 I mean, the guy, the guy I like is a third base prospect is Nolan Jones. Um, the reality mm-hmm. is like these guys, like Jones is a year younger. Um, they both reached double A last year and had, had uh, similar amounts of time at double A. Uh, at Double A, 
it was a 377 Woba for Baum, a 378 for Jones. Like, there, there's similarities there. Jones is more on base and less power um, compared to Baum. Baum obviously more power, a little bit less on base. Like, I, I don't have a, I don't have a strong opinion that Jones is better than uh, Baum. I just, I'll take the on base skills and the belief that um, the younger guy will still develop a bit more power. He's actually. He's almost two years younger. Um, he's 22 years, two months versus 23 years, 11 months. Um, so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that like Jones is definitively better, and you guys are both crazy. I just I look in, in, at the margins given the choice between the two. Um, but I do think Bohm. I think the the big question with Jones is his path to playing time in Cleveland right now is Cesar Hernandez being terrible. That's it. Hernandez is on a one-year, $6 million deal. He's going to be a starting second baseman. He's a high-on-base guy. If he sucks, Ramirez moving back to second base and Jones coming up and playing third is is possible. Um, the other possibility would have to be Jones learning a new position, I guess. Like, there's not really room for him to DH right now um, unless people really struggle. I, I, I don't think... I think Bohm is more likely to get playing time this year. And I don't think he's that likely. Like, I, I don't think either of them is going to get a ton. I don't think either of them is going to make a difference in any fantasy league this year. Um, I think they both will next year. And given the choice between the two, I would take Jones. Yeah, I, I think I prefer Jones uh, overall as a prospect for the future, slightly, to Bohm. But I think that Bohm does have a chance to be meaningfully impactful to, to auto new owners this year. So that's why I would prefer him given this season, especially the way this is going to go without, you know, because if he, if Jones really is less likely to play this year, that's, isn't that a, a massive negative for him going forward? I mean, do we think how much, how much work do you think these guys are going to get meaningfully at these alternate site training centers? Like, do we think that that replicates 90% of a minor league season? I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, I know none of us know the answer to that, but it's just that it's definitely a concern. Um, I mean, I like them both, so it's really you're you're arguing. I think those are the two guys, though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like they're, they're, they're the clear really ones for me. Yeah. Yeah. What about kid Brian Hayes? Just throwing another. I don't know what it is, but there's. I just have never really latched onto him. As I know, there's there've been some people that I've run across who have hyped him up, like in trade talks, and it's just I've never really. I've ne- I haven't taken the bait. I don't know why. I, I don't have any particular reason for it, but. It's just he's, not. He's he's never really been young for his level. Yeah. Um. He was like, he he reached double A in 2018. He was at the time, a, about the age. Well, I guess he was. He wasn't super young. He was 21. He it was his age 21 season. Um. He wasn't as good as Bowmore Jones. And then last year, he was just not good in triple yeah. A. Yeah, and he he was a below average hitter. I mean, yeah. and and that's yes, he was in Triple A, but he was also, I mean, he's twenty three years old. He's twenty three and a half right now. So for for half the season last year, he was twenty three, playing in Triple A, and he was still below average. Yeah, yeah, and he was I, a I first think... round pick with like pedigree, and then you, you, you no, it doesn't look like he was ever rushed. Right, there's never a, a year where you could be like, well, he skipped ahead, and so now there's a little regression, like. This is the pet. He was on the right track, and this last year 
kind of scared me off him too. Like, I think the, the the one thing I will say about him is um, you want to talk about a prospect at third base who isn't blocked. Uh, I don't think Colin Moran is standing in his way. Um, I don't know, like, I'm not really sure what Pittsburgh's doing with their DH slot. Uh, roster resource says Gregory Polanco is going to be there, which would put Guillermo Heredia in right field and Jared Dyson, draw Dyson in center field. Like, They've got Jose Ozuna on the bench, who I think needs more playing time, but I, and I think he'll get it. I don't think he'll end up on the bench because I don't think Dyson and Heredia hold down those spots. But like, there's there's plenty of room for Hayes to come up and make some noise in Pittsburgh this year. Um, I just, I just don't, I don't know. Well, that, I, don't, I don't see it. That and that's only right. It's 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 opportunity and talent. I mean, he may have the opportunity, but I just don't know. At least yeah, in the I short term, that. And if I was Philadelphia, or, or sorry, if I was Pittsburgh, I'd be nervous after his uh, AAA year last year to to put him in front of even more difficult competition. Like I would just be nervous about that. I don't know what the answer is. Player development this year is going to be weird, um, but uh, but I would be nervous about just totally killing. Uh, I mean, he's still a top fifty prospect. Like you don't want to totally turn him into you know chopped liver or whatever. <laughs> The only other guy that I do want to mention while we're talking about third base prospects is the other Nolan, Nolan Gorman. Um, I think he's also, you know, a, a guy not to forget about as a third base prospect. I don't know that I really want to own anybody beyond those four guys, and really, I don't own Hayes anywhere. So, really, to right. me, it's it's Baum, Jones, and, and Nolan Gorman as the only third base prospects that I really. Um, what it, am, what is it about Gorman? Because like I look at Gorman's. Well, he's a third baseman. He's he's a third man. baseman with the first ba- first name of Norman, right? Or uh, uh, Nolan, right? So <laughs> that's all. What more do you need, right? That's why you like Nolan Jones. That's that's right. That's it. That's it's just <laughs> that's why it's Arenado Jones Gorman. Clearly, <laughs> yes. We only look for Nolans around here. This is the Nolan podcast now. I, I think. No, I, mean, I think. I get it. Like I, I look at if you look at like the Fangraphs top one hundred list. Gorman is 38th, Nolan Jones is 54th. But I look at those and I'm just like, I don't, I don't see it. I'm not a scout. And so maybe it's a scouting thing that I'm just straight up missing. I, I think that it helps that he's been, that he's been young. Um, I mean, he was, I mean, it was only a ball and high a last year, but he was still, he's, he just turned 20 years old. Um, he does have a lot of power. The plate discipline needs a lot of work. Um, but I think that he's, he's one of those guys that, it's a very long-term play. I don't think he's coming up in the next couple of years, um, but I think that he's he has the 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 ability with the power um, and and the the hit tool that he'll be a good hitter eventually. Um, but I mean, and that's really more an indictment on the rest of the third base prospects because I don't know. I'm mean, looking at top prospects list. I, there's really nobody else in there that. I'm, I'm at all interested in maybe Jonathan India for the Reds, maybe, but that maybe. would be the only other guy that I would even consider owning on a standard auto new roster right now. And even that probably not. I wouldn't. So, yeah, I mean, I, it was more just a matter of, I know I, I do own him in a couple places and it's more, uh, you know, the, the, the pedigree and the power specifically being the reasons why I own him. That's fair. Um, well, 
I love third base, but this feels like it's gone on long enough. I, you know, I'm looking at the time now. I realize I cannot believe we just spent an hour talking about Chad's love of third base. It's like very excellent. Chad's love of Indian third baseman. Yeah. Okay. There. Finally, someone said it. I only talked up two of them. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. Well, I, I will call it there. Um, we're going to obviously keep going around and doing in the positional uh, uh, preview series. We're, we're going to do middle infield next, I think. I don't know what order we're going to do those in, but one of those two Tune seconds. Tune to find out. Second, yeah, exactly. Spoiler, Second no spoilers here. So, um, as always, thank you for everybody that, that, that takes the time to listen to these. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, you know where to find us if you have any suggestions or questions for us for the future. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.